0: Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, we'll be picking up today in verse 22. So if you have a Bible, I hope you do, find your way to Luke, chapter 12, and we will pick up there in the text here in just a few moments with a message that I prepared entitled, Forsaking Worthless Worries for a Kingdom Beyond Compare. It's it's a risk, it's a trade-off that all of us must evaluate. Are we willing to forsake worthless worries in order to pursue a kingdom that is beyond compare? As we gather our thoughts around this topic, I want to share with you an account I heard of a young man who had just graduated business school, and he had earned a degree in accounting, and he was searching for a job when... He came across a job posting for a small business that was looking to hire an accountant. He thought, you know, this is a pretty small place. Maybe I could get my foot in the door and and move my way up as the company continues to grow. So he decided to apply, and he was called in for an interview. But as he walked into the business, he could tell that there really wasn't a lot of money that was going around this place. I mean, it was a summertime day, but the thermostat must have been set on something around 80 degrees. It was A little bit sweltering as he stepped into the door. He was greeted by the receptionist who he soon learned pulled double duties as the head of human resources. And she welcomed him in and she said, I'm sorry about the heat, but the owner of the company has told us to keep the thermostat up to keep the expenses down. And I would offer you some water, but we had to cancel our water services last week in order to keep costs down as well. Well, soon this young accountant, this fresh graduate, found himself sitting down before the very owner of the company, who was obviously a very nervous man. He was fidgeting a little bit as they were talking to one another. And the owner said to this young accountant, he said, I need someone who can handle my accounting and my worrying. Come again, said said the accountant. Did you say you want someone to handle your worrying? Yeah, that's right, said the boss. I spend a lot of time worrying about all sorts of things, but I don't want to have to worry about my money. So your job will be to handle all the worries that I have to deal with money. Well, I see, said the accountant, and just how much does this job pay? I mean, all that worry, that's, that sounds like a pretty high calling. Well, the boss said, well, I'll start you out at $200,000 a year. $200,000, the accountant exclaimed. He said, how on earth... Is such a small, struggling business going to afford a big salary like that? Well, that, said the owner, will be your worry and not mine. (laughs) Worry, that's an English word that is derived from an old German word, which was worgen, which literally means to choke or to strangle. And that fits well with what we've already studied in Luke's gospel back in chapter 8 where Jesus gave us the parable of the sower and he talked about how of those some of those seeds which the sower scattered fell among the thorns and then the thorns grew up next to the plant that grew from that seed and choked it out and Jesus said that the seed that grew among those thorns represents those who have heard the gospel and as they go on their way they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures in this life. And because they are choked by these things, Jesus said, they bring no fruit to maturity. And you know, that's what worry does to us. Worry chokes away an individual's maturity. It chokes away faith. It prevents an individual from growing into a mature follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Greek verb that Jesus uses, and that the Divinely inspired authors of the New Testament used to describe the same concept of worrying or being anxious is the Greek word merimnao. Now merimnao is derived from another Greek word which is merizo, which means to separate into parts or to divide or to distribute. So when we encounter Jesus speaking here in Luke chapter 12 about the issue of worrying or being anxious for nothing, as your translations may say, as we encounter that here in Luke chapter 12, or as you might find these remarks, these remarks are very similar to what we find in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. These passages are very similar. To one another. And Jesus probably taught this sermon on many occasions. It was a sermon that so many individuals need to hear. It's a sermon that we need to hear as well. But when Jesus is speaking of this word anxiety, when he's speaking of this worry, we find that, that Jesus is actually per that original Greek language, he's really talking about the division of an individual's heart, the division of an individual's priorities. Because that's what worry does to us. That's what anxiety does to us. It divides an individual's heart. And it distracts his pursuit of God. Such that he puts the focus on the circumstances of his life. Rather than on the kingdom of God. That he's called to pursue. And in the end. His Christian growth is choked out. His Christian growth is suffocated. He does not grow in in maturity related to the things of God. Because worry... Chokes. Worry consumes. Worry defeats the short-sighted Christian. And though I've found that some medical organizations have nuances in their definitions that distinguish between what we might call worry and what they would call anxiety, those words are synonyms in our common speech. They're synonyms. You might find them translated one way or another in whichever translation you have. So I'm going to treat those words, worry and anxiety, As synonyms as we talk about this topic here today. And Jesus commands us not to worry. And the Bible further commands us that we are to be anxious for nothing. So worry is obviously a sin. To worry is to disobey the command of God through Christ. The very son of God, his representative here on earth. But if we're all honest, I'd say we all would confess that we struggle from time to time with this sin of worry. From a medical perspective, anxiety, which reaches the level of disorder, is the most common mental illness in the United States, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Anxiety disorders affect over 18% of our adult population every year and over 25% of children between the ages of 13 and 18. And, And I've just got to think for a moment, isn't that amazing? I mean, that we live in one of the most affluent societies that has ever dotted Earth's map. There's precious little of anything that we would need that is not right there, readily available, at our fingertips in this supposedly Christian nation. And yet we are still consumed by worry. We're still choking on anxiety. We're still divided by what the Bible clearly shows us will keep us from Christian maturity. And we're all tempted to worry. To never worry would be to exercise this perfect, pure trust in God, which in our fallen states... I believe it's going to be near impossible because we so often lose sight of how worthy the Lord is of our trust due to our own shortcomings. And while it may seem like a good idea to hire someone else to do our worries for us, the reality is that even that would just produce another worry for us. Instead, we need to understand the worthlessness of worry. So that we can rightly forsake our worries in order to pursue a kingdom that is beyond compare. That's the essence of what Jesus commands us to do in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. And that's why I've titled this message on this passage, Forsaking Worthless Worries for a Kingdom that is Beyond Compare. And so I ask you, are you consumed by worries, my friend? Do do the cares of life feel like they are choking you at times? Do you lose sleep over what lies ahead? Do you find your walk with Christ diminished as you divide your attention toward these things? Well, if that's you, Jesus has a word for you today. So let's turn to it together here in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And if you're able, I'd ask that you would stand that we might together honor the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food. And the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, Why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith, And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near. Nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. At the outset of this passage, there's a couple of things I want to draw your attention to. First, in verse 22 we read that Jesus is now speaking to his disciples. The words that we see today are directed to those who have committed themselves to his teachings. He's not speaking to pagans. And so we know right up front that you can be a true disciple while you're, while you're continuing to face the temptations of worry. But also we should note that Jesus is on his way to Judea And he's teaching in the towns and the villages along the way as he's set his face now towards Jerusalem, that holy city where he will go to die for the sins of mankind, for the sins of you and me. Jesus is on his way there and as he's teaching, he's encountered some individuals that have brought some challenges to him. We saw a few weeks back he was encountering the Pharisees who ultimately were showing holiness on the outside, but on the inside of the dishes, Jesus said they were not clean. And so Jesus then went to the crowds, and he's preaching to the crowds, and he tells the crowds to beware of the hypocrisy of those Pharisees. And as he does that, there's this man who kind of interjects in the midst of his conversation, and he says, Lord, tell my brother to divide my family inheritance with me. This guy kind of runs roughshod over all that Jesus is teaching so that he can bring up his own need, and Jesus then begins to teach the crowds and this individual who's talked to him about this danger of greed and how we ought to guard ourselves and guard our lives against greed such that he ends this final words before sharing a parable of a very greedy sort of hypothetical man in verse 15 with these words he says be on your guard against every form of greed For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And the parable that he shares after that talks about this man whose life was wrapped up in his possessions. Such that he could, ultimately he thought he could kind of hit this point of retirement where he could take his ease. He could eat and drink and be merry for many years. While God, in fact, actually demanded that man's life before those years could ever be enjoyed. That man thought that his life consisted of his possessions. So he stored up treasures for himself, but he was not rich toward God. And his short-sighted view on life proved that he was a fool, according to Jesus' words. And so in verse 22, Jesus says, For this reason, that is, for this reason, because life consists of more than just what you possess, for this reason I say to you, do not worry. In fact, in these words that Jesus gives us which follow in this passage we find that worrying is worthless that's going to be the focus of our time this morning we'll pick up with the second half of this message next week but the first thing I want you to notice is that worrying is worthless in fact I want to show you from this text four reasons why worrying is worthless the first is this when you worry you miss more important matters that's what Jesus says here in verses 22 and 23. When Jesus commands us not to worry, he uses a, a couple of our most basic needs, like the couple of the things that we would expect we most need in life, in order to teach us that we should not worry. If you don't need anything else on the average day, you're going to need food to eat and clothes to put on. I mean, if you don't eat, you're eventually going to die of starvation and even if you live in a nudist colony I mean winter time's coming okay and you don't want to be out in the sun too long without having some covering for your body these are basic essential needs food and clothing what you will eat and what you will put on but Jesus tells us in verse 23 that there are more important things that deserve our attention Than the basic necessities of life for life is more than food and the body more than clothing he says and there's a danger for every individual and let me say this this is a danger it doesn't matter whether you are rich or whether you are poor the danger is that an individual would be so consumed with the essentials that 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 individual would miss the things which are more important for the poor individual the anxiety over the next meal will more often take the form of worrying over how it will be obtained. Sometimes the worry is how to get the resources. Other times the worry is over the impressions that other individuals might have of them if they utilize the channels that are available to them in order to obtain the food. For the wealthy, oftentimes worry has more to do with whether they are keeping up with the others whose respect they desire to earn by eating at the finest restaurants, by dressing in the latest fashions and designer brands. But living a life which is divided in prioritizing how to obtain these essential needs over a life of pursuing God is a life of sin for the poor and the rich alike. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. And when you worry, even over those basic essentials, the worry that you express will likely drown out the productivity of a mind that is set on Christ and pursuing Him in all things. Pastor John MacArthur says it this way. He says, when we allow our daily concerns to turn into worry, and therefore sin when our thoughts become focused on changing the future instead of doing our best to handle our present circumstances. Such thoughts are unproductive. They end up controlling us, though it should be the other way around. And they cause us to neglect other responsibilities and relationships. And friends, Jesus wants us to be focused on more than just food for our lives and clothing for our bodies. That's the reason Peter commands wives, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 3, to win their lost husbands without words through behavior that is chaste and respectful. Then he instructs them with these words in verses 3 and 4. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God and so wives if you're here and you and you are married and you you are a wife of some man then then you have something more beautiful than fine dresses and jewelry and makeup to adorn yourselves with don't let the anxieties of fashion keep you in a form of godliness godlessness and none of us ought to let our desires for finer things cause us to forsake the one who holds our eternities in his hands because life is more than what the finer things of this perishing world has to offer so the first reason why worrying is worthless is that when you worry you miss more important matters here's the second reason why worrying is worthless When you worry, you confuse God's care for his creatures. In this passage, Jesus tells us to consider two objects of God's creative order. First, we're called to consider the ravens in verse 24. Then we're called to consider the lilies in verse 27. In both of these examples, we see God's care for his creatures. It's so clear, so readily apparent in nature. But when we worry... We miss these things. We can't see God's hand at work in nature, providing for all of His created order. So like a guide on a nature trail, Jesus calls us to pause and to consider these truths that are so clear and present in God's created order. I can imagine Jesus just there teaching in between Galilee and Jerusalem as, he, as he's on the road. I can just imagine him pointing to the ravens that are flying around. I can imagine him pointing to the wild flowers of the field maybe plucking one up and showing those who are there consider this it's drawing our attention to god's creation drawing our attention to god's order and the first the first creature that he calls us to consider is the raven now ravens for us don't have maybe the same context but but in, to the jews the ravens were not well respected animals in fact in leviticus chapter 11 god had revealed to the jews all of the animals that were clean for them to eat and to handle, and the animals which were unclean. And some of the birds that that chapter describes there in Leviticus chapter 11 are described as detestable, abhorrent, and not to be eaten. It's among that list of birds, that list of detestable birds there in Leviticus 11 verse 15 that we read every raven in its kind is included among that number. Of detestable birds. Yet Jesus causes us to consider how even this detestable animal receives its nourishment from God. In Job thirty eight forty one, God asked Job, Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wander about without food? The answer is abundantly clear. God provides for the raven. Then in Psalm 147, verse 7, the psalmist commands us to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises to our God on the lyre. Why? Well, the reasons to praise the Lord and give him thanks in song include verse 9, which says he gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens which cry. There's not a baby raven that the Lord does not hear and provide for. And as Jesus says in verse 24, though the ravens neither sow nor reap, although they have no storeroom nor barn, God feeds the ravens. And Jesus wants us to see that even the ravens, which are detestable, unlike us, even those detestable ravens receive their provisions from God. And God takes care of the ravens and he'll take care of you too if you'll trust him. Now let me make something clear. The fact that God cares for the ravens is not a command for us to be idle. The implication that God cares for his creatures is not a command for us just to, to kick our feet up on our couch and eat Cheetos for the rest of our lives, okay? If you were considering that, let me give you a little word of clarity here. You won't see a raven standing on the edge of the tree with his mouth open just waiting for God to drop in the worms, right? Right? Worms don't fall from the sky, or to put it in the uh, vernacular of the average dad, worms don't grow on trees, right? God provides for the ravens through an earth that has been well designed to bring forth the worms in their due season. And he has given the mama raven the instinct that tells her where to find the food that her babies need. The ravens work hard for their food. They stay busy searching, snagging up insects, migrating to adjust for changing seasons, preparing their nests, caring for their young, teaching them to fly, and ultimately pushing them out in their due time, and so on. That's all a part of what a raven must do if that raven is going to eat. Well, likewise for humans. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. But do you know what you won't find? You won't wander into the woods one day and discover that a bird has overdone it, right? You're not gonna go out and find a bird mansion where some bird has taken several limbs and has built out his estate going overboard, you know, going... (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the infinity pool unveils, right? That's not going to happen with the birds. You're just not going to find that. You won't find birds with a mentality that says, you know, there are lots of branches and there are lots of worms here in this area. You know, I'm just going to store a lot of those worms up and I'm just going to lay around all day eating, drinking, and being merry. Birds don't do that. Birds are content to work within the framework of God's design. They only overindulge themselves when we humans take them and cage them up to where they can't do what God has naturally designed for them to do. So think about that when you're caged up on your couch with your Cheetos, okay? The birds aren't anxious over whether or not they're going to have the latest and greatest nests like the Blue Jays have, right? That's just not what consumes the nerd, the, the birds, they just go about their business until they find what they need and they always find it because God is looking out for them so if the birds have no reason to worry my friends I ask you why do you have reason to worry Jesus says God feeds the birds And then he, as God in the flesh, exclaims these words How much more valuable are you than the birds? Then, down in verse 27, Jesus tells us to consider this reality God dresses grass better than kings dress themselves. For the lilies grow, neither tolling nor spinning. But not even Solomon, who was the wealthiest king who lived in biblical times. Not even Solomon in all of his glory. Not even when he was clothed better than any other man who lived on earth. Not even then was he clothed better than the wildflowers, which God clothes. You take the finest woven garment and you place it under a microscope and you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a bunch of fibers that up close just looks like burlap. But if you take the petal of a flower and you slide that petal of flower under that same microscope, you will get lost in the wonders of life that were designed within that petal to produce that flower's beautiful clothing. With all of our human wisdom and ingenuity, we can't design a garment that is intricate and sophisticated. To the degree that that flower's petal is. Yet Jesus says that in verse 28. If God so clothes the grass of the field. Which is alive today. And tomorrow thrown into the furnace. How much more will he clothe you? You see dead flowers aren't very valuable to anyone. Husbands I don't, I don't advise you to go and pick a bunch of dead flowers. And show up to your wife and hand them over. They don't tend to be very well appreciated. Okay. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, they were often gathered up and used for fuel. Yet even these little flowers, which aren't worth much of anything to anyone in the long run, receive God's tender love and care in the present. And you, my friends, you were not made for the furnace. You were made for the family room. The only way you'll end up in the furnace is if you reject God's call upon you to receive his gracious gift of salvation. Because God doesn't want you in the furnace, my friends. He wants you in the family room. And ultimately, God has paved the way for you to be welcomed into the family room by the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus has come, and he has borne the sorrow. He has been acquainted with the griefs. He has taken the burden, the penalty that was rightfully ours as he died in our place and extended to us life evermore. So Jesus has paved the way for you to enter into the family room. And so hear me on this, friends. God's got a greater glory to clothe us with than anything we could clothe ourselves with on our own. I may never be able to wear the fashions of world-renowned designers like Gucci or Louis Vuitton, but I'm not going to give my life to those designers. I'm going to give my life to a greater designer who promises to me that he designs something that will ultimately cause every other design to pale in comparison to what he has in store for those who are his, who are called by his name and according to his purposes. And you are more valuable than the birds. He cares for you more than the lilies. These things Birds and lilies were not created in His image, but you and every other human being are created in His image. You and every other human being possess His special favor. The birds and the lilies were never designed to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ, but you were designed for this very purpose. Jesus didn't come to redeem the lilies. He didn't come to redeem the ravens. He came to redeem you. He's not coming again to resurrect the ravens. He's not coming again to lift up the lilies. But for you, dear Christian, he has a promise that he is coming again. And he is offering to you eternal life by his work. Life with him forevermore. He hasn't gone to prepare a place for the lilies and the ravens, but he has gone to prepare a place for you, dear Christian. And God cares for his creatures. And if you aren't careful to consider that, you may drown out the joy of his care in the worthlessness of your worries. Some poet has written these words, said the wildflower to the sparrow, I should really like to know what these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the wildflower, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And so I say to you, don't worry. For when you worry, you confuse God's care for his creatures. That's the second reason why worrying is worthless. Here's the third when you worry you lack the ability to lengthen your life that's the truth that Jesus abundantly makes clear here in verses 25 and 26 he begins with the rhetorical question and which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life's span that word that's translated hour is actually a a measurement of length it was actually the cubit, which was the measurement from the joint of the elbow to the, to the end of the longest finger, to the end of your middle finger. That's a cubit. He's saying, which of you by worrying can add that length? That's about 18 inches. Which of you by worrying can add 18 inches to your own life? That's a rhetorical question, but the answer is so clear, right? None of us. None of us by our worry. None of us buy our divided attention which causes us to focus on the things of tomorrow that we are concerned about instead of focusing on the will of the God who calls us. None of those things are going to extend our lives. Now Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't take care of ourselves. He's not saying that you should let yourself go. That would clearly contradict the parable that Jesus gave us just before this passage. He is not saying that we should never exercise. For Paul says in 1 Timothy 4:8, physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. Physical exercise may indeed have some value. It may indeed extend your life. But worrying is not exercise. Providing for tomorrow is good, But worrying about tomorrow is a sin. Because God is the God of tomorrow just as much as He is the God of today. Limitations 3.23 tells us His mercies are new every morning. He feeds us just as He fed the children of Israel. If you'll remember when they were wandering about in the wilderness, He fed them with just enough manna for that day. Just enough that they could be sustained by his giving hand. And so it's good for us to remember that even with our exercise, God still holds the hours of your life in his hands. And it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, according to the Bible. And when you spend your time consumed by worry over your earthly life, you become consumed by fear for the future that ends up producing within you this disordered system that crowds out the time for exercise and for godliness. In fact, scientific studies have revealed that worry shortens the length of an individual's life. According to the health publishing website Very Well, which is a partner of the Cleveland Clinic, here's what they say. Many studies have found a link between anxiety-prone personality and shortened lifespan. The tendency to always react to frustration, loss, or threat with negative emotions is referred to as neuroticism by researchers who have found this trait to be widespread and worrisome. A 2009 article published in American Psychology stated that there is growing evidence that neuroticism is a psychological trait of profound public health significance neuroticism is a robust correlate and predictor of many different mental and physical disorders then they give an example they said for instance for a study published in 2008 researchers at purdue university followed 1600 men ages 43 to 91 for 12 years to examine how those with neurotic personalities fared over time. At the end of the study, only 50% of the men with high or increasing neuroticism were alive compared to 75% of the other group. So when Jesus says that you can't add a single hour to your lifespan by worrying, you should know that Jesus means what he says. So why worry? That's essentially what he asks us in verse 27. If then you cannot do this very little thing, if you can't add 18 inches to your life, why do you worry about other matters? Worrying is a foolish pursuit. John Newton, that sailor turned preacher who penned the words of amazing grace once wrote of worry this way. He said, I compare the troubles which we have to undergo in the course of the year, to a great bundle of sticks, far too large for us to lift. But God does not require us to carry the whole at once. He mercifully unties the bundle and gives us first one stick, which we are to carry today, and then another, which we are to carry tomorrow, and so on. This we might easily manage, if we could only take the burden appointed to us for each day. But we choose to increase our troubles by carrying yesterday's stick over again today and adding tomorrow's burden to our load before we are required to bear it. And so friends, I say don't load yourselves up with the worries of the future. In the end, you'll only end up sacrificing today's joy on the altar of some tomorrow that may never happen. Author and motivational speaker, Leo Biscaglia, once said it this way. He said, worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. And so we must learn to apply today's resources to today's needs or we will lose today's joy. Yes, when you worry, you lack the ability to lengthen your life. That's the third reason why worrying is worthless. Here's the final reason. When you worry, you fade out your faith. In the midst of this riveting explanation from the Master himself on why worrying is worthless, he interjects a word against the worrier at the end of verse 28. That's where Jesus exclaims, You men of little faith, that's no word of commendation from the lips of our Master, my friends. In Luke's gospel, as a matter of fact, we've already encountered Jesus marveling at the faith of a centurion who said that Jesus could heal his servant even from a distance. We've seen Jesus rebuking the lack of faith in his disciples as they were out on the Sea of Galilee and this huge storm came upon them such that they were terrified of the wind and the waves. We've seen Jesus ultimately telling various individuals that they have been healed because of their faith. What we find at work here in this verse is the truth that worry is the opposite of faith. And Christ calls for us to live by faith. You could call the disciple who worries the divided disciple. He has divided up his pursuits between what God commands him to do and what his unfounded fears warn him might happen. He spends his time seeking what he will eat and what he will drink. And as he keeps worrying, he finds himself in greater trouble still. And in the end, his faith fades out. So much so that he's indistinguishable from the rest of the world who does not know Christ. That's what Jesus conveys in verse 30. He says, for all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek he's essentially saying when you spend your life consumed by worry you're just like anybody else who does not know christ friends it ought to be different for those of us who know him it ought to be different for those of us who have placed our trust in him it ought to be different for those of us who believe that he lives and that he reigns and that he rules over all that is around us It ought to be different for those of us who believe that we are in the very palm of His hand, secure for eternity, all in His timing. And so I ask you, my friends, how is your spirit when it comes to worry? Are you living by faith, consumed with the thoughts of God, ready to go where He sends you and do what He tells you? It is obvious to those who are in this mentality, among your family and your friends and your neighbors. That the things this world offers are not their ultimate pursuits. And so I ask you to your friends and your family and your neighbors, is it obvious to them that the things of this world are not ultimately what you are pursuing? Or are you anxious? While we're going to take this up in greater detail next Sunday, let me just give you a quick insight into God's design for handling your worries. Paul wrote these words to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul offers us here two keys to unlocking the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ. They are prayer and thanksgiving. Prayer and thanksgiving. If we, through prayer and thanksgiving, will make our requests known to God, if we will leave our worries in the realm of the divine, he will give us peace that this world simply cannot understand. And so I say, do you believe that? Then let me give you a way that you can know that you believe that. Consider this past week. Consider this past month. Consider this past year of your life. Have you spent more time praying and thanking God or have you spent more time worrying about the things that are out of your control? Because if we're pursuing what God has commanded us to do and casting all of our anxieties upon him, according to Philippians, In Paul's letter to that church, then we ought to be spending more time in prayer confessing our anxieties, leaving them up in the realm of the divine than we would struggling with them on our own. And so I ask you, do you want to win the victory over the war with worthless worry? Well, the primary way to forsake worthless worry is to prevail in persistent prayer. Prayer is an act of faith. You must learn not to divide your faith with worry. And so I say, do you really trust God? I mean, do you really trust Him? Or are you trusting more in your worries than you are in Him? You know, sometimes we really just don't know how much we trust Him until we're placed in a situation in the midst of the fire. Sometimes we have to step out in obedient faith to allow God to put us in a place where our reliance upon Him is our only option. True discipleship means nothing less than being willing to lay it all on the line all my dreams, all my plans, and all of my worries. The faith filled life that Jesus demands is not a life of comfort, but of risk, of exposure, of weakness, of vulnerability. He wants us to venture out into the waters where the course has not been charted out clearly, simply relying on Him to give us the opportunity to do what we have been created and redeemed to do. But oh, my friends, He is so worthy of that. He is so worthy of giving over my insecurities to trust in him. His grace is so rich toward each and every one of you that this ought not even be a moment of contemplation for us. Nothing we could ever sacrifice could compare with what he offers us in exchange for our all-out trust in him. Because, my friends, Jesus has borne your sorrows. Jesus has died in your place jesus has risen from the dead so that those who are in him by faith might have an everlasting hope there's no anxiety that you can't yield to him that he won't offer you something so much richer in exchange for so we're going to close with a final moment of prayer i'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes there where you are And as you think through what God's Word is calling us to here in this passage today, maybe you're like me and you you realize there's just some things you need to yield over to the Lord. There's some things that have been consuming you, some things that have been dividing your attention, some things that have been dividing your heart away from pursuing the Lord because you've been focused too much on fears that may in fact be unfounded fears. And so I'm just going to ask you, if that's you in these moments, let's take just a few quiet moments to confess our anxieties to God. Would you do that with me now? Just moments of silence. You examine your own heart. Are there anxieties you need to confess to Him and turn toward trust? Now if that's you today and you've still got your head bowed and no one's looking and and you really sense there are some anxieties. You really want to make a firm decision to commit to the Lord and to turn over to prayer and and to leave with Him by faith. If that's where the Lord is driving you today, would you just slip up your hand? Thank you, thank you. Thanks. God is faithful. is powerful my friends he calls upon us to trust in him and our trust will not be in vain father we praise you for your grace which calls for us in our anxieties to trust in one who is so much greater than the fears of tomorrow to trust in one who holds every circumstance in the midst of his control god we trust in your Providence over us. But if we're honest, Lord, we confess that far too often the anxieties of this world choke us in the present moment. So, Father, I pray that as we indeed commit ourselves in these moments to lay these things up in the divine realm where you, O Lord, can be in charge of all things, God, I pray that you would show yourself as you've shown yourself to be over and over again in Scripture, a God who loves a God who cares, a God who provides, a God who protects, a God who leads the ones whom he loves, who place their steadfast trust in him into green pastures. And Father, may we find you faithful as we yield to you our hearts, our desires, our worries. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.